if you had to pick one relationship in Scripture that is most beautiful in its warmth and tenderness and affection, who would you go with? Would it be Jacob and Rachel? I mean, the man worked seven years for that girl. That is love. Would it be Isaac and Rebecca? Ah, her humble posture when she is about to meet him. Maybe it would be Priscilla and Aquila totally in sync on the mission of God, sitting hand in hand in that couch and welcoming and gospeling Apollos. Or would it be Ruth and Boaz, breathtaking, the way that he contends for her and redeems her. Or it could be Joseph and Mary, traveling to Bethlehem, us against the world. Or maybe it's not a marriage that comes to mind. Maybe it's Jonathan and David, wicked tightest of friends. Or Paul and Timothy, a pastor and his protege. All really good choices, but I think I would go with Christ and his father. Their relationship, the father and the son, is actually meant to be the archetype of love and affection and togetherness and trust that every other holy human relationship is meant to be marked by. The way that they loved and love each other is the way that we will love them and be loved by them and love each other forever. Jesus loved his father and the father loved the son. We see that side of it on clearest display at Christ's baptism. I mean, who could ever forget it? Jesus wades into those Jordan waters and John goes, hold up, time out. What are you doing here? This is totally backwards. I need you to baptize me. And Jesus goes, John, it's okay, I know, but do it anyway. It's the right thing. I don't need cleansing from sin myself, but I need identifying with the sinners that I am here to save. And do you know who it was who did not miss that baptism? His dad. The father was right there, just as any good father would be. And as soon as Christ emerges from those waters, he loudly, exuberantly, joyfully lets everyone in earshot know, this is my deeply loved son, and with him, I am so pleased. Bostonian translation, that's my boy, and I love this kid. Every man who ever becomes a dad to sons or daughters is invited into that reality right there. A deep and close, I love you and would do anything for you relationship marked by love and affection. And so I talked with my dad about becoming a father like that to sons. Are you familiar with the new dad grin? Do you know what this is? It is that wide-eyed smile that gets pasted on the face of a man when he first steps into fatherhood. For my dad, 
he beamed the whole summer of 1973 after welcoming his first son into the world. We bought a little house in Staten Island, right in the middle, and getting prepared to get our family ready to go and start a new life. And uh, all of a sudden we find out that Margaret's having a baby. It's like, wow, this is something that, uh, at that time I was 29 years old. So, uh, and I just also had a pretty junky car, a 62 Chevy Impala. So when we heard that out, we figured out uh, we're going to be going to St. Vincent's Hospital, which is about six and a half miles away. And I took about 10 trips, seeing which is the quickest route to get there without all of a sudden her giving birth in the car or something. <laughs> so it finally figured out, and I had it down pat. Meanwhile, I was working on Staten Island down the street at a pollution plant. So I was close, close by. I wasn't in Manhattan or some kind of place like that. So all of a sudden, Margaret's going, ouch, ouch, something's happening here. And then upstairs on the second floor, she hit the floor. She says, I am ready. And meanwhile, I am panicking. She's ready. And, and the birth pains are coming. I says, okay, I believe it was in April. So I says, let's get going. Got her in the car, broke every speed limit, ran every red light, ran every stop sign. Pulled into the emergency room, blowing the horn. Said, there's a woman here. She's going to have a baby. Simmer down, man. We'll take care of her. So up we went to the birthing room. And I know I was like in this room. It was like a maternity room to the side. And I had all this equipment. And then I ended up being in there with mom. And hearing her moan and groan. And like, I'm sitting there. I'm not feeling a thing. And she's like, ooh, ouch, ouch, ouch. And I was kind of feeling bad for her. So we went on for an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours. And finally the nurse came and says, Mr. Cruz, this is going to be a long one. Why don't you go home? Oh, I like that. <laughs> and I said, okay, and what does that mean? We'll call you when the baby comes. So I got in the car and I drove home. And it might have been six, seven hours later. Got a call and says, you have a baby boy. Come on back. And I drove back and uh, got up there and did all the red light, green light, <laughs> red lights again. I don't even know where I parked the car. Got up there, run up, and there was Matthew Cruz, every bit of seven pounds, six, six ounces, not too sure. And your mom had this giant smile on her face. And that was the first of the beginning of the birth of our first child, Matthew. Everybody knows that the second child gets the shaft, right? Birth order blues. 15 months after having a son, my dad had another. And although this guy didn't get the giant sign welcoming him home like his older brother did, he was received with the same kind of love and affection and made their home complete. Okay, number two. I didn't know it was going to be the same type of experience. But don't forget, in those days, men did not go into the labor room. We didn't see the birth. We didn't see the screaming. We sat in another room and we watched it on a monitor. Not the picture of it, but the machine. So I came back and we, uh, we did the same thing. I'm not too sure. Mom, Margaret's mother had come up and she was watching Matthew. 
So I was okay. I just went by myself. And there I was getting ready for number two. There Margaret was in the same room. And this time they had this big monitor and they had like a radar going across the screen. And every time she had a real birth pain, the needle would beep, 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 jump up and it'd say, oh, check it out. You have a big birth beep. <laughs> and she says, I know how I feel. It hurts every time it does it. So I just sat there for a while and then once again, uh, the time came and uh, I was not allowed in the room. I had to stay in the room and I believe James was born a little quicker. And so I didn't go home that time. I just waited and waited and of course prayed and asked God to bless us with the healthy children and all the things that uh, he had prepared for our lives, the next step of our lives. And then nurse commenced, well, here he is. And he was his little beast, <laughs> nine pounds, eight ounces, this little chubby guy, and says, you have another son. So I, I'm not too sure um, if I went home, and some of it's a little blurry, but I know in between time I made this giant sign outside the house and said, welcome home, Matthew, when you first arrived. So, but I didn't get one to make one for James. So it was time to bring James home. And let it begin. Walked upstairs, brought upstairs. Each one of you had your own rooms. And in those first days, weeks and months, mom was recovering. I think he spent two or three days in the hospital. And uh, I wasn't ready for it. I went in the room, snuck in, and took a look at you guys. And are they breathing? I wanted to hear. <sighs> I wasn't too sure they were breathing. So every once in a while, I poke them. And it jumped. One of the most influential things a dad can do is a thing that any dad can do. And it's pretty simple. Be there. Be around. Be present. And my dad was. In all the memories that I have of being really little in our first home, 301 St. John's Avenue, my dad is there. And yes, including duct taping me to a vacuum cleaner. Now they're home. And they're hungry. And they're eating. And Margaret's obviously breastfeeding. I'm sure she was. <laughs> and then I'm a junk food eater, so they became junk food eaters very quick. They're like peanut butter crunch. But as things happen around the house, they're always waiting for me to come home. And when they came home, we started cleaning. So I had this... Electrolux vacuum cleaner. It looked like a torpedo. And we plug it in the kitchen. And we start vacuuming around the house. And they'd be chasing it and laughing and jumping. I says, let's make this a little more interesting. Margaret, go get me some duct tape. So she went to the drawer. She got some duct tape. And starting with Matthew, I duct taped Matthew to the top of the vacuum cleaner. Turned it on high volume. And we just swung around the house, banging into chairs into the living room, into the kitchen. And and then um, James says, uh, I'm next, right? So James is a little bit of a tough guy. And I ducked him tape to it. You know, I think they were both duct taped at the same time. Dads are meant to teach their kids some things. First and foremost is the, the glory of God and of the gospel of his grace. But also real life things how to change a flat tire how to throw a bounce pass how to shoot a gun unless you live in mass 
And of course, how to ride a bike. For my dad, that process required being in tune with the totally different personalities of his two sons. Well, now they're getting a little bit older, you know, they're running and having fun and it was time to... I had a yellow bike, a uh, Peugeot French bike. It had a seat on it. And I used to throw Matthew on the back and we drive all over the place. We go up to the Staten Island Zoo and just zooming all over. And then and as he got bigger, it was, it was, it was uh, James's turn. Then it was time for them to start to ride a bike. So I don't think my dad gave us a few bikes. So down the street, about a half a mile was Willowbrook Park, where we played a lot of sports. And it had was like a long slope hill. And I started Matthew up at the type of the hill. And he didn't, he froze with the steering wheel. He, he didn't want to do it. So I says, oh, this isn't going to be easy. So I says, I'm going to push you, and I'm going to run along the side of you, and you're going to get the hack, of, the hack of it. Well, here we go. 10 feet, you fell over. Got back up. 20 feet, you fell over. You got back up. I said, Matthew, you have to pedal. You got to turn your legs and pedal this bike. Back up to the hill, 10, 20 30 times, I'm going, hey, finally, maybe the 50th time, you got it, and off you went. Down there, around the softball fields, there was a little bit of lake that had ducks and swans and stuff, and then Matthew caught it, man. He was just, that was bicycle guy at the time. So then came James. Put James on the bike, pushed him, boom, he was riding. <laughs> Never fell. Just took off like a rocket. Dads are built by God to be providers and protectors. In the garden, before sin, Adam, the first dad, was charged with two things. You work and you keep for the good of others. And so every good father gives himself to those two noble pursuits. My dad's protection streak kicked into high gear one time in caring for a wounded little girl who was like a daughter to him. So we're in, we're in the house, and all the kids are over, and they're doing racing the bikes in and front and around the house. So all of a sudden, Jennifer, she had a brand-new pink pipe, was waving to me. I must have think they were about 9, 10. I'm not too sure. And she got her shoelace caught in the spoke, and she went flying heads over heels, face first, into the street, the concrete. And she let out with a scream. I ran down, I turned her over, and her whole chin was broken, wide open. So I yelled to Margaret, get a clean towel, get it wet, get down here right away. And uh, she says, what happened? I said, well, Jennifer took a bad crash. And she says, oh, my. I had a Subaru in those days. Put down all the chairs. I threw all the boys in it, laid her flat, Margaret in it. We went around the corner to get a hold of Vicky and Narius. Vicky says, she's a hysterical lady. She goes, what happened? What happened? Jennifer got hurt, but we're taking it to doctors and hospital. Get in the car. So he says, well, where's Narius? Well, he's on the throne. <laughs> and I hollered up, Narius, your daughter's injured seriously bad. Come on down. He says, I can't come down. I'll meet you down there. So <laughs> he couldn't come down with us. So we zoomed down. This is like 
towards um, the Staten Island Bridge, and we pulled into the emergency room. And again, I get out of the car, and I tell the, the guy meets us. I said, "What happened?" I says, "This young girl's hurt really bad. She's probably gonna need some plastic surgery." We got the the blanket on her. So the guy says, "All right, I'll get a wheelchair." I says, "No, no, no. I don't want a wheelchair. I want a gurney. I want a stretcher with wheels on it." He says, "We don't have none." I looked inside, and there was a guy sitting on it. I said, "Are you? Are you need that?" Yeah, well, I took him and I threw him off the gurney. <laughs> took the gurney, wheeled it outside, and then he got and came and he was like, "Hey, but look, look at this young girl. She needs it worse than you." So all everything got her in. He was cool, and then she was in the hospital for a while, and they operated on her, gave her plastic surgery, didn't bust her teeth or nothing, and to this day, she's a wonderful, gorgeous mother with children. You can't even see that there's a scar on her chin. So that was a crazy time in our lives. We didn't know what was going to happen. It's hard to actually put into words how much my dad loved his two sons. We were totally his life. To this day, he will brag on us to complete strangers about things that we accomplished decades ago. In his little story about James and I crushing some neighborhood kids in street football, I hope you can hear that love. So, as usual, I come home, and now Jason's dad, he always worked the light, so we didn't see him that often. But it's me and the boys and whatever kids are on the block. So, being Matthew, everybody knows Matthew, he's smart, you know? So, he watches the Jets. He was a Jet fan in those days. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry, he was a Miami fan. James was a Jet fan. So he had a little book, and he had a playbook of plays. And he would do all these plays, curls, buttons, stop and go, oh, relentlessly. And and James was catching, and Matthew was passing, and Jason was trying to keep James from catching it. So this one time, these three teenagers are bopping down the street, and they didn't know what they were in for. <laughs> they were in for a big mistake. And uh, I'm sitting on the porch again, and the guys go, hey, you want to challenge you guys? You want you up for it? Matthew looks at the two guys. Yeah, we're ready for it. Pulls out his playbook, and it was like Jason and James, and they passed the ball to Matthew, and they'd already had the play down. Like I said, stop and go, red light, boom, touchdown. Boom, touchdown. <laughs> touchdown. These guys are starting to turn red. I said, oh, I better get down there. Somebody's going to beat up these guys. So that was so good. Matt was so methodically, he just he still has that type of uh, intuition of doing those things. Being a good dad means leading your kids on adventures. And sometimes it means getting attacked by murder hornets. And they had a camp up in Port Jervis. And uh, we'd go every year, twice a year, three times a year, four times a year. It was kind of rugged. And when we got there in the summer, there were gnats, these little gnats everywhere. You can't, a lot of guys wore a washcloth on top of their head to keep the bugs off them. So we moved further up the hill. So this one time, we're going down to play basketball. Now, the kids are moving from baseball, football to basketball, especially Matthew and James. They're the hoopsters. So we're leaving about 3 o'clock. 
We were up in the hill, so we're walking down a steep incline, and it seems as though the night before, somebody took a stick and knocked a hornet's nest out of the tree. And unfortunately, as we were walking down the hill, I stepped on it, and all the hornets came out. And then all of a sudden, James and Matthew says, Dad, ouch, ouch, what's going on? We looked down, and the hornets were biting us on our ankles, right through our pants. I might even have shorts. I'm not even too sure. So we hightailed it down to like where this water came by the camp, went into like this little reservoir that went further down. And I got to the little edge, and these hornets chased us. Trying to bite us. And we did step on their house. You know, they were a little mad at us. So we got to the very edge of the and I took both of them by the hand and just threw them about a 25-foot incline. Bushes and everything were down there. Then I hopped down there, and we jumped in the water to get away from these bugs. And we pretty well bit. I think we ended up with 27 bites. We might have went to the emergency room because we weren't too sure what to do with 27, 30 bites. So that was uh, a wild time. And one of the other things in Camp Day Park, we had hay rides. And, of course, who do you think was riding the tractor? Me, reckless, have everybody in it. And they liked me the most because I hit all the bumps, went down the trails, took the hardest roads, and everybody just had to hang on. If they didn't, over they went with the hay bales on the side of the track. My dad swears that he saved my life one time when I fell from a bunk bed on a church retreat. You can be the judge of that, but there is no question as these final stories about his fatherhood tell, this man loved being with and near his sons. One of the great things we had in our church in Calvary Tabernacle was we went to New Jersey and we had this monster picnics. There was hundreds of us, four or five hundred, and we used to go the night before who were running it and we would uh, get everything set. So one night, the first night we were there, we were in this cabin, and in the middle of the night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Matthew fell out of the top bunk. And I don't know how it happened, and I stretched out my hand, and I caught him. And it pulled me out of the bed, and then James says, what's up? What's all this noise? What's going on? I said, well, your brother fell out of the bed, and I caught him. But he's not hurt. It was a concrete floor. So I think you stayed in the bed with me that night, and the next day, James is wondering, like, what happened? Did Matthew really get hurt? So that was like a miracle of God. There's no way I wake up at 3.30 in the morning, stick my hand out, catch Matthew, put him back into the bed, like it would never happen. So then the picnic days began, and we were all down at the softball field, and Matthew and Jason and Narius and, and, and all of us were ready. And the bigger boys, who were part of the church softball team, were picking sides. And uh, they started to pick this guy, that guy, this guy, that guy. And Matthew was hanging next to me, and James was next to me. And they both had a little glove in their hat on crooked. And came down to the last few picks, and they didn't get picked. So Matthew said to me, Dad, where do I go? 
said, well, you're out in the middle. You're coming out to me with center field, and James will probably go wherever Narius is. So that was such a touching time. Little big eyes looking at me. Where do I go? How? What do you mean I wasn't picked? So there it is. Glenn Cruz, dad to sons. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Yeah, That's My Dad. If you are digging these stories and think they could be helpful to someone else to listen to, please let them know about this podcast. You can subscribe to it anywhere podcasts are available, and we would love for you to do so. And if you want more information and some pictures that accord with these stories, you can go to cruise.studio backslash dad.